Welcome to the Actionable Futurist podcast, a show all about the near-term future with practical and actionable advice from a range of global experts to help you stay ahead of the curve. Every episode answers the question, what's the future of? With voices and opinions that need to be heard. Your host is international keynote speaker and actionable futurist, Andrew Grill. My guest today is Tom Smith, the sole founder and CEO of GWI. Having spent several years working agency side, he recognised a growing demand for global data to better understand the complex online market. Coupling the world's largest ongoing study on the digital consumer with powerful analytics, GWI is now the leading provider of digital consumer insights to the global marketing industry. Welcome, Tom. Thanks for having me. You make a very strong statement that the market research industry has utterly failed the needs of its consumers in today's global marketplace. Why do you say this? If we consider what market research is here here for, right, it's to help businesses understand their marketplace, their audiences, their customer segments. I mean, that, that's their core remit. If we look at the market we're operating in today, you know, it's a world of, you know, I, I've spent the last 20 years in the industry and the transformation in opportunity for businesses is, is profound, right? We live in a completely connected global marketplace where you can engage tens or hundreds of millions of customers from anywhere and you can build incredibly large businesses very quickly. And that just didn't exist before. Now, if you think about market research as a discipline emerged, you know, generations ago now and was designed for a different world where you know, markets were local, distribution was local, it wasn't online, there was no internet, media was mass media, it was TV, print, radio, and everything was done offline, right? So, and market research in the whole hasn't changed that much. So if you want to understand your audience today, as a, any, any scale business, it could be literally anywhere on the planet. Now, if you want to research that audience and that marketplace, in, in a normal way of running market research, it could take months, six months, could take longer. The cost just to do that could be hundreds of thousands, if not millions. And by the time you get the answer, the whole world has transformed and moved on. So the core function of market research, which is an $80 billion industry, in the main has not changed. And it's failing the customers and the businesses that need that information. So what was the spark? What was the moment where you said, I just need to create this global web index? I cut my teeth in the advertising world and I was very fortunate. I started working as an analyst and a researcher in an advertising agency, specifically the media part of that agency, back in 2001. And my job was to help very large advertisers understand their target audiences. The best audience, who is the most appropriate audience to target their marketing at? What's the constituents of that audience, you know, helping them to profile them, understand them, and then to develop insights that they could build a marketing strategy on and develop media plans. And it was really apparent to me on the front line that all the big advertisers were coming to me and my teams and they were saying, we want to understand what our audience is doing in Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, even MySpace before that, Friendster. You know, want to understand podcasting like we're doing now, you know, the explosion of social media. And none of this was represented in the industry research that had underpinned advertising for 50, 60 years. And the other critical, well, two other critical points is they needed very up-to-date data because things were changing every day. And I think you'll remember well, the mid-2000s is there was a new service popping up every single day. It was super exciting. 
It felt like an absolute revolution, which it was. And what they presented was this possibility to engage customers anywhere, right? Content would just spread around the world. It was a really unprecedented opportunity for companies to engage consumers. None of the data supported this. I couldn't answer any of the questions that customers would bring me. And even really basic requirements. So I remember trying to answer questions for a hotel brand. And they wanted to understand their audience, which was business travelers, in about 20 different countries and how they were in- engaging blogs and podcasts. This was an impossible task. It took me six months of engaging with local offices in our group. Nobody had the data. I mean, it was, I couldn't do the job. Right. So from this basis, I knew there was a need to understand audiences globally, specifically online and very specifically like how they're engaging with social media and the emergence of consumer generated content at the time. I started developing research in that role and that led to me really seeing an opportunity. So I, I was building this research product over a number of years, which was to understand consumers worldwide online. And people were really picking up the information a lot. I desperately need this information. So I was, you know, taking right reports, taking it to conferences, giving it to customers. And I knew this was a product I would use and many other companies needed. And that was really the spark. Everything's more global and interconnected. And the need for this has just accelerated over the years. I wish we'd met back in 2009 because back then I was heavily involved in social media and I coined a phrase back then and I said publicly a lot and people then wouldn't requote me that social media is the best piece of market research you never commissioned. The great thing about our data is, you know, we survey millions of people a year and everyone answers the same set of questions. So it's super comparable. It's very easy to use. You don't have any blank holes and you don't know what you don't know, right? So one of the problems with social data from a research perspective, right, to try and drive insights is firstly, the subset of people that are sharing their opinions, you don't know what that subset is. So you don't know how representative that data is of the wider of that audience or the market as a whole. So it's very difficult to use to drive really actionable audience insights. Um, and the other side is sometimes the, the 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 audience data that gives you an understanding of those people is it's just not it's not available or it's absent or it's not very accurate. So you know, social data is fantastic for getting a quick take or you know of what's going on or for crisis comms or for outreach and influencer. But I think over the years, I think the promise that it could replace traditional market research has not been fulfilled from my perspective. Now, you say that GWI thrive on disrupting the industry at the highest level. So what parts need disrupting? There is lots of innovation, don't get me wrong, but the bulk of that industry is still operating as if the market has not changed. You know, it's a service-based business, it's still more research done offline and online. It takes months to do anything. You're like, you know, this it's not fit for purpose for what the clients need today. They need immediate answers to questions, right? So I think the areas we've focused on that the wider industry should be looking at is A, how quick can I collect data and how quickly can I get the data from the consumer to my end analyst? And the quicker the shorter that process, the better. And the only way to do that globally is with technology, right? You need to automate as much as possible. You need to commit to online sampling. You need to be constantly collecting data. The automation of that data is critical. So you're talking about automating who you identify to sample. You're, you're talking about automating the cleaning of data. You're automating the weighting of it. You're automating the recoding. There's so many layers of process. And we're very committed to that. We've spent 10 years building those processes. The second part is scale. So a lot of market research is 
because of cost constraints often, and also finding enough people, can often be very small in scale. But if you think about what the internet does, we can reach very niche audiences and you can build very large businesses on very niche subset audiences. In order to find those audiences and understand them and really build a business strategy around them, you need to work with large samples that you're confident with. We've been focused on ever-increasing size of sample to, to really help small customers and, and niche audiences. You know, another significant part for me is the platform. You know, we make all of our data available in an online platform. You can sign up for free immediately. So the speed from question to answer is contracted. The data is immediately accessible. Anyone can use it. And that's how data gets used. I mean, there's tens of billions of dollars of market research every year that is operated, run, paid, collected, presented and then sits inside a you know sits in a cloud somewhere or maybe on a local computer just gathering dust never to be looked at again because it's too hard to access or it requires a team of analysts data needs to be accessible otherwise it will not be properly integrated to an organization and it will not properly drive strategy and decision making so it's that combination of big scale constant collection automation and then the platform the user experience the combination of that is critical to answer the customer's needs in this fast-paced global environment. And most market research is not, they're not focused on, on doing these things and things need to change across the industry. So obviously your business is heavily reliant on data. And I want to talk about data for a moment, but in a slightly different way and about consumers owning their own data because frankly, my opinions are my own. And I think in the future, consumers are looking for a, a fairer value exchange. So Tim Berners-Lee, who invented the World Wide Web, thinks the internet's evolved in ways he never anticipated. I've seen him speak publicly and he's quite dismayed about where it's got to. He wants consumers to regain control of their data and have a fair value exchange. So how does this notion apply to market research and what's the ideal nexus between consumers and their data and the value of that and market research? Great question. I mean, I think what's interesting here is, is how much value is that data really? You know, companies are very successful, essentially utilizing data to drive their business models, the Facebooks, et cetera, Googles, their average revenue per user is still relatively low. If we can convert that into meaningful terms for an end user, talking tens of dollars, not thousands of dollars. And I said, someone explained this really well. It's like, I often think people think data is new oil, i.e. we're all sitting on this very valuable commodity. But actually, the better comparison is that data is like sand, until you do something with the information, it lacks real value. It's the processing, it's the presentation, it's the aggregation. Millions of people's data aggregated at scale is a highly valuable product. The individual data on its own doesn't hold the same level of value. You know, these efforts to kind of you know, help consumers realize that value, control the permissions and you know, what companies can do with it and potentially monetize it directly are going to really struggle because the return for an individual consumer is going to be pretty low. That's just the reality. If we look at market research, market research, actually, they are monetizing your opinion, essentially, and they're helping you as a consumer to realize that in a highly privacy compliant way. I think this idea of people controlling their data across the web sounds fantastic in principle, but I think in reality will not be played out at any, in any significance because the value you lay on top of it is the aggregation of millions of people's data where you see the true value being created. I agree with you on one part, but I'm just thinking of a, a use case at the moment. So the other night, a friend of mine introduced me to these e-scooters. I'd never been on one before. And I've got to tell you, this morning on my walk, I couldn't stop seeing scooters. And I'm looking up what they cost and which one I should have. So a scooter manufacturer, knowing that I'm in the market for a scooter right now and not having to market to me, 
I would argue there's a value, but that's a time sensitive. Just as if I'm looking for a BMW car and only looking for a BMW car, they'd like to know that because it then stops them from doing it. Now, I agree with you that finding this one person who once every three years wants to change out their car or their insurance or buy a new scooter is very, very difficult. I must push back because I would like to think that I'm worth five to ten thousand pounds a year to a bunch of entities because for me to tell you what I'm interested in or what I like, I think there's value in that. And we may not win the argument today, but I think when consumers see things like Cambridge Analytica and the data goes out there and there's a bunch of documentaries on Netflix about how social media is designed to be very addictive, I think consumers are now sort of going, well, maybe there is some value. How you ascribe that, I, I agree with you, is very, very difficult, but I'm a futurist, so I have to say this, but I would say in three to five years, there'll be more people like me that will actually have a very different relationship to Facebook than you do, because I'll have a different value exchange through my digital agent. I think there's a couple of aspects to that, because you think about how that's been done historically, you know, there are reams of third-party data that advertisers have used to target consumers, which is supposedly based on intent. The problem with that data is it's been wildly hit and miss in terms of accuracy. And also, like you say, it's very time-specific. So you're in the market now for an e-scooter, and I agree with you, they're brilliant. I'd quite like one. If they're listening to this podcast, Tide or Jump or whoever makes them, make us an offer. When it's been aggregated in a kind of advertising, you know, and sold at scale, yes, its value is, it's been hit and miss, it's been very low. When you've got a specific, yeah, I'm buying an e-scooter and like literally going to buy one right now. I mean, I can see the value in that. Then the question is, how do you aggregate that? Because then you've got to be more meaningfully involved in the process. You know, and that gets closer to market research. You're almost like you're volunteering. You're saying, I actually in the market is right now. Now that would be, you know, that would probably hold value for buyers. But again, you're going to need enormous scale in order to build that as a viable business because for every person's interest in an e-scooter you know the conversion rates are still going to be relatively low so so the realistic value on that piece of data is not going to be in the hundreds of pounds certainly on an e-scooter so again it'll be the mechanics of how you aggregate that data which gets closer to market search i guess you know you're you're fully involved with the process and that won't meaningfully work for every consumer out there it'll maybe work for some Access to data is becoming harder and harder. We've got ad blockers, first and third party data laws, VPNs. Apple now have a privacy relay. There are cookie laws, GDPR. Does this make the collection of research data harder? And how do you keep up with regulation and client demands? Actually, for market research, all of these initiatives are beneficial for us. The problem was these bad actors who are hoovering up user data, reselling it. There's all sorts of examples of that. And companies have literally been shut down over recent years because they were collecting mass data at scale you're vaguely opting to but you don't really realize it's been repackaged and resold to to advertisers and marketers market research is you know you're fully engaged as a consumer you have to opt in it's made the job more complicated with gdpr we used to be able to do more in terms of matching data with client data but i think the net good of these initiatives and the, the, the increasing uh, you know, privacy moving up the agenda and moving up legisla- legislative agendas is a good thing. I mean, some of the legislation gets a bit clunky, like GDPR probably could be better designed, but the intentions were there. And it helps market research because people can only do market research if they actively choose to. I can't force someone to do it. I can't collect their data without them realizing they opt in at least twice, sometimes three times. They have to opt into new use cases. It has to be fully transparent how we're going to use the data. And actually, since, since GDPR came, it's been really good for our business. And certainly, if you were, you know, go back a few years, when I started this company and said I was going to build a market search product, people thought I was a bit mad. They said, you know, this is good. who's going to use market search? We're going to use actual data. We're going to 
take data from tracking, from analytics, from... And, you know, that was kind of a, a large perception in the industry at the time. And that's been shown that that's not going to be the answer for understanding audiences because first, you, you know, legislation, laws, privacy. Secondly, you've got issues with data quality and, you know, the complexity of matching first-party data is madly complex. You know, and market researchers have never been more relevant from that respect because it's opt-in, it's privacy compliant, and it gives you the right data. Um, so, we, you know, we welcome these changes and I think it's good for the consumer I do think they should maybe look at some of the legislative GDPR which have probably not helped you know some of that could be dialed back without too much compromise to consumers privacy so I know you already collect hundreds if not thousands of different data points from your uh, market researchees but what data would you like to collect but it's currently prohibitive in terms of cost or technology that's a good question I mean yeah I mean there's some things that market research is not as well lended to when you're asking about behavioral data you know, how much time you spent doing certain things. Market research is brilliant for um, basic, you know, facts about you as an individual, perceptions, lifestyles, attitudes, outlooks. It's the only way to do it. Um, simple behavioral data is fine, but some more complex, like time spent, uh, whether you've seen certain ads programming is, is sometimes challenging. It certainly can work. But um, so being able to do more in that space and, you know, being able to link some behavioral data would be really fascinating. I mean, the, the main things that we come across um, is, is, and the main areas we want to tackle are, particularly the global product, are scale. It's like we want to be able to reach more people. We want more people to, you know, the more you can survey, the better it is for our, the businesses that use our platform because they can build much more detailed audiences. The more we can frequently survey people, the better. The bigger our pool of data, the more capabilities we have to go back and answer and ask additional brand questions and very specific data points. So scale is important. The more people engage in the market search ecosystem, the better for us. Um, and that's probably the main sort of barriers we come across. Capabilities in other markets. In some markets, the, um, the ecosystem is not as developed, so it's quite hard to, to drive large samples in some of the African countries that we're surveying in. Um, and a lot of these you know, very large internet markets but the research infrastructure is not really caught up as much. The other area that we would like more capabilities to be able to push is mobile data collection. So we use that a lot and we've invested now in our own software. We wanted to do more with the user experience within a mobile handset specifically. And we want it to be a better experience. People who are, are happier answering more questions, spending more time doing it. And many surveys, they were engineered for desktop. And secondly, they're not a fantastic user experience. So, you know, we're very committed to, making that better experience and more people engaged so we can collect more data and we can move more and more of it into mobile. So you're constantly innovating. Are there new insights that brands are really hungry for? Oh, I mean, yeah, constantly. I mean, the marketplace is you know, always moving, right? So we're, you know, in the last 18 months, you know, it's obvious examples, but everyone wants to know how to, to, to adjust their business model, you know, with the pandemic. And we went back to market and collected data, you know, constantly about what was happening with coronavirus and what people's attitudes were to, you know, at the beginning, that was, there was a feeling that you shouldn't even engage as an advertiser. It just didn't feel appropriate to do advertising. So it's like, okay, what do people really think about that? And actually, most consumers were not that bothered. And they understood that businesses need to keep going. So building those kind of understanding was critical. Helping businesses figure out how to move their products online, service offering online. All of those things were really key topics. Um, there's much more need from advertisers to understand 
every aspect of humanity and diversity, particularly in terms of segments and what they, you know, having much richer understanding that sometimes has been lacking in, in market research. So we're very focused on that. Understand, understanding things like sexual orientation, gender identification, these are modern topics that have often been lacking from market research. And we collect them and are pushing the boundaries and where we can collect that, which is very difficult in some countries. Um, but that's a real need from, you know, marketers today and modern businesses. Um, and yeah, I mean, lots of very topical things like people want to understand NFTs, Bitcoin, gig economy. Yeah, these are, you think how many things are coming down the line. You need a very up-to-date understanding of what's going on. So we've engineered our products so we can constantly add and take away new data. And that's really important. Uh, and that's something that traditionally was hard with the old way of running offline market search because A, it's very slow, but B, making changes on an ongoing research product is difficult. So you've got to be constantly moving and changing. So again, uh, with all these new data sets and things that are changing all the time, if you're a traditional marketer or a traditional market research person in a large brand, do they need to be retrained in, in how to use these new data sets and, and really explode their view of what's the art of the possible with your tool? It depends who you're talking to. So, so we work with two core segments driving our business. We have what we call data guardians, the people that worked with research for many years. They tend to be market researchers by trade and they might be data scientists or analysts. That's their job. Typically, they know how to work with our data. Very rarely, people who have never worked with such global data, and it throws up lots of new insights you might not be familiar with. And so to get an understanding of that, and sometimes people are really surprised at the scale of markets in oh, Brazil, China, Indonesia. You haven't seen this data quantified before, and it, it can be quite surprising. So, so like, sometimes it's an education piece around the data there. But typically, when we work with research experts, they know how to use the product. They've been working with data for years. The other area we help them with is distribution of data, so how they can share it through the organization, how they can help align companies around their audiences so they can move more quickly. That's a key part of getting the most out of the data. The other key segment, which is a big growth area for us, is what we call storytellers. So these are people that are using data, but it's not their day job. They're non-experts. They could be a salesperson, could be a startup founder, could be a CEO, could be someone working in HR, could be from anywhere in an organization. These people are organically coming to our platform. We're reaching them through companies that we work with. They don't know how to work with market research in the same level of capacity because it's not their day job, but they want to get insights out. They want to build knowledge. This is an area we're very focused on and we've just launched a new platform, which is really geared to helping non-experts drive insights quickly. And this is where the platform comes in. It's really key. But there was a lot more education around how you can use data, how you can understand the insights and how you can use them. It'd be remiss of me not to ask you, how has your business evolved and how do you manage teams remotely? I'd be fair to say we were, we were very much an in-office business. You know, we had some teams remote, particularly engineering, um, and, but we were generally four days in, maybe one day out was the typical scenario before so it was a bit of an organizational shock as from an organizational sense the business has never operated better we've been much more focused much more organized we were set up to work remotely i mean everything about the product it's all done online survey collection you know everyone can collaborate online we use slack as the center of how we operate everything's in the cloud so that, that sense it was fairly seamless um and we did a lot of stuff that everyone would have 
done, you know, we did spend a lot more time in internal communication. Town halls became weekly, right, at the height of the pandemic. Constant comms was really, really important, which you don't necessarily need to do face-to-face. About four or five months ago, we set how we wanted to come back to the office and we said we're going to move back to hybrid working, which will in, come in place at the beginning of October. Up until that point, we did work anywhere. So we said, you do whatever you want. You can come in the office if, when we're allowed to open them if you want. You don't need to if you don't need to want to. That's been, you know, very well received. We did half day Fridays, which again, you know, working like on the screen is very intense. And it's a higher level of intensity than being in an office. So, you know, that was extremely well received. And we will roll that, keep that in the future in the summer periods. And we said where people can go back, you know, we were so comfortable with people working wherever that we will move to a, a very flexible hybrid system where teams can pick to come in one, two, three days a week, or some teams will be less frequency than that. Most teams will be two, not rigorously enforced. One of the things we have missed is the collaboration, right? Face-to-face is great. I had my team together last week for the first time. I've had new joiners in my direct team. First time in 18 months that any of us have met. You know, as one, I've got Carrie who works for me in New York. She managed to finally come over. And it was fantastic. You do so much in one day that would take three months on Zoom calls. Successful teams need to trust each other, need to work together, they need to build that bond. Hard to do that on Zoom entirely. So what we're trying to do is bring the best of that and the best of homeworking, which clearly is very efficient. The one or two days in the office is really about collaboration, team meetings, spending time with other teams you don't normally engage with. And that's one of the problems with Zoom is very siloed. So trying to get everyone just to integrate more. So we're trying to bring back the both of those. And by having fixed days, you at least know when everyone's going to be there. And we'll trial this and see how it goes. And, you know, the idea is we'll, we'll, we'll run it now for the next six months for people that are really uncomfortable to come in because of health reasons. You know, we're not going to pressure the situation, but most people are very comfortable to come in. And, and yeah, and we'll see how it goes. It's been good organizationally for the business, for sure. So you've just set out what most people are telling me in terms of having to adapt and giving flexibility. So how does the rise of remote and distributed workers change the market research landscape? I mean, it's definitely had a, f- a fundamental impact. I mean, and, and again, these are headwinds that have helped us as a business because of our approach. So on the one hand is data collection. If you were committed to offline data collection, that just came to a halt last year. It's come back now, but caused enormous problems and many, many research projects were just paused. And there's a reason why the industry declined. I think it's, it says 4% decline last year in aggregate because of those problems. And you couldn't run field work. So that was a major problem. The other big problem is process. So a lot of market search organizations are still very fixed on service, you know, the service model, having teams work together, present, you know, in this format is, is a bit slower. The key thing for me is, you know, you've, you've now working with predominantly distributed remote teams. That's not, I don't think that's going to change. You know, people are going to be all over the place. Remote and hybrid working is going to be the norm. Teams can be anywhere. And, and it's, this is really important for us because we've commi- we committed to the model of putting our data in a platform and making it organizationally accessible. That becomes more important. Challenges market search when everyone's everywhere is alignment. Like, so how do you make sure that everyone understands what you're trying to say? How do you bake those audiences into the business lexicon, the business strategy? These are much harder when everyone's distributed. So having a platform-based solution and not a PowerPoint that's just shared around is really key because everyone can log in, they can view the product, they can understand it, they can query it themselves. They're not relying on, you know, I'm going to ask another team to do the work. This is vital if you're going to permeate the insights from research into an organization, 
So from our side, it's great. I mean, honestly, because we committed to that. And that's going to be the future of work. So, you know, platforms are absolutely vital. So I'm a technology futurist, so I have to look at the effect of all new technologies on all segments. So where does AI fit into your solution and the market more broadly? Good question. Again, so AI is something that we've been working into our survey products. When you use the survey product we built, I said we want to make it more less of a survey and more of an engaging experience. So we were using an AI approach to be able to answer. It's like you're talking to a, a bot basically. And that, may, that makes a more engaging experience. Also, you know, the, the idea of it is to be able to serve more relevant questions, talk in a more natural way. And that's something we've been working on the last three or four years. There's so many far you can go with that. And actually, some of the interesting areas on top of that are how you turn a survey into a voice product. So you're using natural language processing to turn text, you know, to voice into text, you know, which is a more engaging survey experience. So there's lots of interesting areas around there. The other area, AI will be relevant to us and you know, we haven't been implementing much of this at the moment, but it's certainly in our future vision and roadmap is how do you help people extract the value from the data? That's a really big challenge. And that's where, you know, AI, machine learning, you know, can help drive the automation of insights to help develop intelligence on top of the data. You know, very we would commit to in the future is Q&A. So, you know, rather than going to platform and I have to think about what I'm looking for, find it, analyze it, figure out the insights. When we reach our true extent, which could be five, 10 years down the line, the longer term vision is you just, you could just ask a question, you get the answer. That, that should be where we're going to get to. And that is stuff that we're going to start working on, fully automating that, removing the platform, essentially. That is almost, almost actually an element of friction between you and the answer. You should just have to ask the question. So that, that's where we want to get to. And it's not going to be easy, but we'll be focused on it. So I have a favorite marketing cartoonist, you may know him, Tom Fishburne, and every uh, Monday he has a, a take on the marketing industry and he spends a lot of time taking apart personas. And as you know, personas try and group people into a predefined segment. With taste changing so quickly, are personas still relevant? hundred uh, percent. I think, it, yeah, it's probably easy to take them apart and say they're, you know, they're generalizing people. You know, having spent my formative years in advertising and marketing broadly, there are some, you know very stereotypical personas develop. Sometimes the reality of what your true persona is is not as aspirational maybe as they'd want it to be. Personas are very helpful. It's a very helpful discipline to understand your, your, your customer base, right? And we, you know, we've done it in our business. So we relaunched our internal strategy last year and we built the business around understanding these two personas, guardians of storytellers. Now, there's going to be many subsets within that, which you can also explore at a more granular level. But it really helps... When you build that understanding into the business and everyone aligns around those, it really helps an organization move more quickly because every decision you make is, is this just driving the needs of guardians or storytellers? And then there are further personas that said beneath that, again, will drive further decision making. But it makes, once you build that understanding across the business and everyone understands it, you can make decisions fast. You can align very quickly. You give people the guardrails and a framework to make the right decisions that drive the correct strategy to make the business grow quicker. So I I think they're they're very valuable. All our customers are working with audiences and personas. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very very necessary approach that helps us distill the complexity of a marketplace into something that's that's genuinely actionable. So in the time we've got left, let's just look at the future. How will the insights industry change beyond 2021? You know, I think a lot lot of these things are things that we're already working on that are very necessary, right? So, you know, one is getting immediate access to answers. Like this is really, really, and there's two aspects of that. One is 
super quick response from the consumer and the other one is making the data very quick and easy to access to be able to analyze that. Our answer to that is having pre-collecting the data so you log in, it's already there. You know, and I think there'll be a general shift away from continually running custom market research, a lot of which is identical. You know, there's thousands of studies running at the moment, probably with very similar topics. It makes sense at global scale to aggregate as much of that and run it in a pre-collected way, which is what we're committed to. I think you'll see more of that. That's key. I think reimagining what we talked about a bit, but reimagining the experience for consumers. So more people engage in market research, you get richer answers people come back to do you know contribute more that's really important so that's why we you know committed to building our own platform here there's other companies doing great things here and there's a general evolution to make surveys a better experience which is great these are really important the other area i think is critical is the the general expansion of research infrastructure so we can get more markets quantified more markets collected data until until consumers are surveyed data collected visible made available to businesses that essentially invisible and having that coverage globally it's really important to make sure our companies understand the true extent of their opportunity make sure the right dollar investments going to you know other markets outside us western europe this stuff's really important growing that infrastructure globally is really important a focus is how you utilize data and get a lot more out of it so this is the user experience of platform it's automating insights it's democratizing it making it super simple if you think of the big challenge here like i said like that 80 billion dollars a year spent on market search most of that after the first presentation most of that will sit in a, a hard disk somewhere even a cloud or local it just it's sitting there gathering dust never to be looked at again and the amount of value that sits in those those data sets is not utilized is is actually a you know it's a, it's a problem we should be tackling um, and i think that's a big area of focus for me moving forward so I always take my um, guests through a quick fire round. Quick answer is a good answer. PC or Mac? Mac, but only just. I literally, I'm probably the last person to convert from a PC to a Mac. Literally in the last few, few months. Uh, never going back. iPhone or Android? iPhone, always. What are you reading at the moment? I'm actually reading a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. Uh, and this is something we read for work. It's all about understanding how to you create good functioning teams and how you align them around core strategy and vision. Uh, it's actually really fascinating. Uh, and we're implementing a lot of the findings. Um, so that's, that's the reading list at the moment. And what's the best advice you've ever received? Mainly around, I mean, especially as a, a you know, founding a business is like, where, whatever you think you're going to be able to achieve and whatever, whatever timescale you've said, triple it. You'll probably double it again. As this is the Actionable Futurist podcast, what three pieces of actionable advice do you have for our listeners when it comes to market research? First one is um, build expertise in your, your knowledge area. I think I would never be able to start this business without doing it somewhere else and understanding the problem. And ultimately, I'd be a user of the product today and you need that inherent knowledge, I think, in order to be successful and, and get something, get, to get traction on anything. I think that's inherently incredibly vital. The other thing for me is uh, persistence. It will take a huge amount of time. And I think a lot of the businesses that are still standing are the ones that just kept going. You know, people don't do things for long enough. They're, they expect it to work in 12 months. It's not, it's going to take five years. So you need to be re- ready to make that commitment. I, and I didn't realize that at the time. I learned the hard way. But that would be my, you know, big advice to anyone starting a company is huge amount of time. Fairly obvious advice, but the culture is everything in a company. You've got to get that right. Everything else will fall out from that. If, if you don't commit to spending time on that and hiring the right people and, and, and committing to try and make the right environment you'd want to work in, people can commit their careers to. You're not, you're not going to make it. So it doesn't matter how good the product is, how, you know, how strong your proposition is, it'll always depend on that culture and the people. So I think they're incredibly important. When it comes to market research, 
you know, there are lots of product, like product like ours, there are other products in the market that are going out and collecting the data. It's going to answer 90% of what you want to know. And actually, the speed of data is more powerful, often, than being able to collect exactly everything in the right format, exactly how you want it, because you need speed, you need scale. And insights get stale quite quickly. So if you run your own project, by the time you get it back and you, unlo- and you want to understand it, you go, well, we've got new questions, we want to understand this. Go start from scratch. By the time you get that data, the world's moved on. So my advice is to, re- to rethink how you run these processes. Think about working with data that's already there. Tom, you're a passionate advocate for your industry and I've really enjoyed our discussion. How can people find out more about you and your work? You can come to gwi.com. Find me on LinkedIn, Tom Smith. There are lots of Tom Smiths, so you definitely have to put Tom Smith GWI. There's a lot of content on our site, you know, and, and about the industry and how you can utilize the data, which I think is really interesting. There's lots of reports, so people can understand the data and what it's saying. So I would really recommend to come there. Tom, thank you so much for your time and good luck with the business. Thank you. I really enjoyed the chat. Great questions as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Actionable Futurist podcast. You can find all of our previous shows at actionablefuturist.com. And if you like what you've heard on the show, please consider subscribing via your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can find out more about Andrew and how he helps corporates navigate a disruptive digital world with keynote speeches and C-suite workshops delivered in person or virtually at actionablefuturist.com. Until next time, this has been the Actionable Futurist Podcast.